Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. I want to welcome all of you who have joined us for our 11 o'clock service, and thank you for sharing this service with your family and friends. As a result, we're seeing lives changed every weekend since we've been going out uh, during this time of quarantine through this, uh, uh, this technology. So thank you for sharing the service with those, and thank you uh, for um, all of you who've been praying for these services as well. We're so grateful uh, to you. And we're praying the service today will be meaningful, that God would do something significant in your life. In fact, I am absolutely convinced during this time of quarantine, uh, social distancing, uh, that God desires to do something powerfully through every life. I've said before, and it bears repeating this morning, God is intentional. He's intentional. He does everything with purpose and for purpose and on purpose. And certainly that's the case in your life today. I believe with all my heart that God has a, a plan in the midst of this pandemic. Pandemic. I think he has a purpose for what you and I are now experiencing. And it's my desire and my heart and my prayer that you and I not miss what God is trying to say to us during this time. Oftentimes throughout scripture, God has used times and seasons of solitude to do some of his deepest and most profound work in the lives of his people. Sometimes it's in exile when people hear God clearly and profoundly and God changes and rearranges lives. And I really believe because God is intentional, that is what is happening if we will allow it. That is what is happening in our life and in the life of our church and even in this world. God has a plan. He has a purpose. So I'll just say as you're watching the service this morning, God has a, a reason for this season of your life. There is something that he is desiring to do in and through you. My prayer is that your solitary place will become a, a sacred space where God can speak meaningfully into your life. And this morning, we're going to talk about uh, another aspect of exile, what God can do in solitude. And one of the things that I know that he can do in solitude, I know he can do in exile, is he can put us there for perspective, for perspective. And tonight, uh, today, rather, I believe God is desiring to change our perspective, our outlook. The word perspective comes from the Latin to see through. And I think God is really wanting us to see things differently. And in order for us to see things differently, we have to be different because in reality, we don't see things as they are in as much as we see things as we are. We look at life through our own prism. We look at life through our own experience. And so God sometimes will come into our experience to change our perspective. It changes our outlook. And perspective is a powerful thing. Perspective is reality to most people. However you perceive a thing to be, whether it's true or not, it becomes your reality, right? There is what is called cognitive perspective. That is how I think about something. There is affective perspective. That's how I feel about something. And both of those things work uh, together to form uh, an outlook that we have on life. How, how are you thinking about what you're going through today? 
Because how you think about what you're going through today is going to affect how you feel about what you're going through today. And I want to use as an example this morning, a, an incredibly powerful a man of, of such a, a, a ability and, and gifting uh, to use as an illustration, and it is the prophet Elijah, one of the greatest men of the Old Testament. And yet this incredible man had problems with perspective. And God had to change his perspective in the, really the middle of his life and ministry so that he could be more effective for the balance of his ministry. Your perspective will determine your effectiveness. So how I am uh, perceiving what I am going through, how I am feeling about what I'm going through will shape my perspective and will affect the way uh, I uh, am used of God uh, in the days to come. So perspective is a powerful thing. I don't want you to miss that. And I want us to drop in to a chapter of this man's life where God uh, really reaches out to him in a profound way. If you have a Bible, in fact, look with me. It's in 1 Kings chapter 19. I want to pull out one verse that I want to talk to you about for a little while this morning that has to do with Elijah's perspective and how God shaped and formed his perspective. Look at it. 1 Kings 19, verse 9. And Elijah went into a cave, into a cave, a place of exile, a place of quarantine, <laughs> a place of social distancing. He's in a cave, and he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him in that cave, in that place of isolation, in that place of social distancing. The word of the Lord came to him and God said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? Now understand, you may ask a question of me or I may ask a question of you, and that's one thing. But when the God of the universe, when the creator of all things, when the God who knows us better than we know ourselves, when that God steps into our experience and he asks a question of us, it's profound, it's powerful, it's poignant. In fact, I believe with all my heart because God is sovereign and he knows all things, he's omniscient. Nothing catches him by surprise. He doesn't ask questions for his benefit. God never asked a question because he needed to be edified. <laughs> he does it for our benefit. I go back to the very first question God ever asked in the Bible. The very first thing he ever asked of man in the Bible is in the book of Genesis. Do you remember the question? Adam, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Now the context was Adam and Eve had sinned and the sin that they had committed had separated them from God. Their fellowship with God had been broken, and so God comes to walk with them as he always did and talk to them as he always did and, and commune with them as he always did. But for the first time since they had been created, they were hiding. They were separated from their Savior. They were hiding in the garden, and God comes on the scene, and he calls out, Adam, where are you? Now again, he wasn't asking for his information, he was asking for Adam's information. Because you can't fix something if you, do, if you don't know it's broken. You can't determine where you need to go if you don't know where you are. Remember back in the days when you could go to the mall <laughs> and you were looking for a, a certain store and you'd find those maps out in the mall 
And one of the things you do is identify the store you're trying to reach, and then there'd be a red dot. Remember what the red dot said? You are here. And that was significant, because you could not get to where you're trying to go if you don't know where you are. And I'm just saying to your heart this morning, God is still asking us, where are you? Where are you in relationship to him? Where are you in relationship to your family? Where are you in relationship uh, to your work and your career? And how committed are you to the thing he's called you to do? Where are you? It's so important that we sometimes just stop long enough and we evaluate and assess where we are. So we ask that powerful and pointed question of Adam and Eve, where, where are you? And again, he wanted them to know where they were. Now I fast forward the principle to 1 Kings 19 and I tell you it's the same principle. God drops into this cave. Here he is, this incredible man, this man of God, this prophet, one of the most gifted men of the then known day. And here he is isolated. Here he is in solitude. And God calls out to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? I want us to think about that question that God asked just for a few moments this morning. And I want to kind of break that question apart in three different ways. I want to first of all consider what are you, with the emphasis being on you, doing here. And then secondly, I want to talk about what are you doing, with the emphasis on doing here. And then we'll close our time together this morning with the emphasis being, what are you doing here? So first of all, I want you to consider, what are you doing here, God asked. In other words, you of all people. You, one of my choicest servants. You, a man of such great power. You, a man of great potential. What are you doing here? And so the first thing I see about the you that is in exile is the you as a man of great potential. A great potential. And can I tell you this morning, as you think about this situation that you may be going through today, and you think about the pressure that is on your life today, you think about the problems that you're dealing with today, can I encourage you by telling you, I hope it's encouragement, people uh, and, and, uh, who have the greatest potential are also people who face the greatest problems. You see, once uh, God has placed favor on your life, and once he has a purpose for your life, there's a target on your back. The Bible says in John 10, 10, that he comes, Jesus came to give life and give it to abundant. Uh, but on the other hand, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And one of the ways the enemy attacks people of potential is he affects their perspective. He gets them to see what they're going through the wrong way. He gets them to think about what they're going through the wrong way. And it affects their perception. And here this man was, such a great man of potential. And he's isolated. He's insulated. He's in a place of solitude. He's in a place where he is despairing and discouraged and depressed. And God says, well, what are you doing here, man? You have so much potential. Another thing I would have you to consider is that people in places who are at the center of Holy Spirit activity are also people in places at the center of unholy spirit activity. You go back to Nehemiah, when Nehemiah was building the wall and all the people that were working with him to build the wall, the more he built, the harder the devil blasted. 
And anywhere God is at work at building, the devil will be at work at blasting. He's trying to tear down that which God is building up. And you have to recognize that and realize that. One of the ways you know you're not running with the devil is when you keep running into him. So I'm just suggesting to you that the devil has a strategy. He has a plan. First of all, his plan is to keep you away from God. He tries to hide the ball. He doesn't want you to know your creator. He doesn't want you to receive Jesus as your savior. And so he confuses the matter. He tells you it's in your religion and you never feel fulfilled or satisfied in it. It's just an empty hole. He tells you it's in your righteousness and you can never be good enough. You keep going two steps forward and three steps back. He says it's in your ritual and you try to follow all the rituals and you can't get them right. And Jesus came on the scene in John 14, 6 and clarified it and simplified it. He said, it's not religion and it's not ritual and it's not your righteousness. It's a relationship to Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father, he said, except by me. I'm just saying to your heart this morning, the first strategy of the devil is to keep you away from God, to keep you from ever humbling your heart, swallowing your pride and receiving Jesus as your savior. You person of potential, you, if he can keep you from your creator, you'll never connect with purpose. You'll never know what life is all about. You'll live your life disconnected from the owner's manual. It'll be hard to discern and hard to determine the path you should take because the one who created you, the one who has purpose for you, you're disconnected from him. The second thing the enemy tries to do, if he cannot keep you away from God, he will then try to keep you from making a difference for God. He'll just get you to run out the clock. He'll get you to uh, give in to fatalism. Well, whatever will be, will be. You can't change anything about it. My life just is what it is. And so you'll never live with purpose and persistence. And so the devil has a strategy. I'm just telling you this morning, he has a strategy and his strategy is effective or he wouldn't keep using it. And one of the things he was just hammering this great man of potential was with these problems and all of the issues of his life. Man, you look at Elijah and all the people in the world that uh, should have been living on the mountain and should have been enjoying uh, this favor that was on his life. It should have been Elijah. You turn the two pages back and you see it was Elijah that God sent to face two of the most powerful people of the then known world, uh, uh, Ahab and Jezebel. And he stands before Ahab and Jezebel powerfully and boldly to tell them what God had said. And God had said, you've turned your back on me and you've defiled this world that I've created, so I'm gonna turn the waterworks off. It's my planet, you're defiling it. It is uh, my word and you're not listening to it. You are in disobedience to your creator, so I'm gonna get your attention. The man, the rain was cut off and famine came into the land. And as a result of that, uh, Elijah had to go into hiding. <laughs> and so God hides him in a mountain a condo at Kerith. And the ravens fed him. And he's there protected by God in exile, but protected by God until the brook dries up. And then in verse, uh, chapter 17 of 1 Kings, he moves him to Zarephath. And in Zarephath, again, he takes care of him. There's a widow and her son. And while he's in their home, he performs two significant miracles. Then you go to the next chapter, 1 Kings 18, and here he is on Mount Carmel. And he's facing these 450 false prophets of Baal. And the challenge was the God that answers by fire will be God. And wow, did God ever affirm him? 
He answered by fire and declared his power in that place. And you would think from that point forward that Elijah would fear nothing, that Elijah would say, man, God is taking care of me. He sustained me at Kareth. He's taking care of me at Zarephath. He's confirmed me at Carmel. You would think a man who had that resume and that track record would never again struggle with uh, insecurity or inferiority or, or never feel unappreciated. But that wasn't the case. When Jezebel said to him, I'm coming for you, man, and uh, this time tomorrow I'm going to do to you what you did to those 450 false prophets, you know what he did? He believed her instead of his God. You know what, what happens sometimes? We believe the enemy instead of believing what God has said about us. He said, I love you. He said, I have a purpose for you. He said, I've forgiven you. He said, there's no condemnation. He said, there's no separation. He said, there's no guilt. And so many times we believe the lies of the enemy and the lies that cannot keep us from God will then try to keep us from making a difference for God. And uh, Elijah's perspective was skewed because of how he was thinking, effective uh, perception and cognitive perception. And all of a sudden, man, it was affecting his outlook, how he was seeing things, and then as a result, how he was doing things. Because we've said before, you will go in the direction of your thoughts. You're watching because you thought you would watch first. You'll eat something in a little while because you thought what you're going to eat first. You go in the direction of your thoughts. And so if your thoughts are skewed, if your perspective is wrong, you're going to head in the wrong direction. And all I'm saying to your heart this morning is this man of enormous potential was going in the wrong direction. And you see what happens to him. He makes a 40-day journey to Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb is the same mountain as called Mount Sinai perhaps more famously known as Sinai. And so Elijah, from that experience, he, uh, he is making his way to Mount uh, Sinai, to Mount Horeb. It's a 40-day journey. And if you study uh, biblical uh, 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 numerology, let's get that word in a minute, biblical numerology, you understand 40 is a significant number. It is typically a number of testing, testing. It also speaks of a generation, 40 years in scripture is considered a generation. So I don't think it's a mistake that it was a 40-day journey. It was a period of testing. So here's this man of enormous potential, and he's going through one of the greatest tests of his life. And don't miss this. This great test came on the heels of an enormous victory. Oftentimes, some of your greatest successes are followed by some of your biggest challenges. Sometimes uh, the greatest mountaintop experiences that you'll ever have are followed by some of the deepest valleys you'll ever walk through. And here was this man of such great potential making his way a 40-day journey over to Sinai, being tested. And not only when there's a test, remember, there's also a temptation. They always go in tandem. God on one side testing. He cannot tempt, but he can test, and he tests to evaluate your readiness for promotion. The enemy on the other side tempting you and a temptation is a solicitation to go against God's word and his will for your life. So you have these forces pulling on you. Don't you think for a skinny minute he didn't have those forces pulling on him? Here he was knowing what God has done, but he's listening to what she has said, wicked queen Jezebel. He's knowing what God has planned for him, but he's fearful for what might happen to him. 
And so he's just trying to clarify. He's trying to find equilibrium. So he just goes away from everyone. And he feels like if I could get to this special place, this mountain. And there is something majestic and there is something spiritual about being in the mountains. Has that effect on people? And so maybe that was part of what drove him there. Uh, but he was going to Sinai. And, and he certainly knew the history of that mountain where Moses had experienced the burning bush and out of a, a burning fire, God spoke to him. Where years later, Moses would go uh, into a cave and God would hide him from the cave and his, show him his glory. And in the thunder and the earthquake, the finger of God would write on tablets of stone, 10 commands and give them to Moses. Elijah knew the history. In fact, many scholars believe he went back to the very cave that God had hidden Moses in so many years ago. What am I seeing? I'm seeing a man that is overwhelmed, a man that is discouraged, a man that's trying to find equilibrium, a man that's burned out. And he's kind of in desperation going to this place of isolation to try to figure things out. And the second thing I see as I read the narrative is not only what are you doing here, but secondly, God is asking, what are you doing here? And here he confronts what I'm calling this grievous perception. What are you doing where you are? What are you doing right now? Let me give it to you another way. It's one thing to go into a cave, but it's another thing to go into yourself. He, he went into a place of isolation, and in a place of isolation, he went into himself. Many people say a form of, of depression is when anger turns inward. When you don't process or deal with things in a healthy way, sometimes you turn that inwardly and you turn it on yourself and it has a, a physiological and emotional effect and it's not good. And I'm just suggesting to you that here was this man who had this enormous potential and had this great spiritual high and had so much favor with people who had just achieved an incredible feat. And 40 days later, he's hiding out in a cave, despondent, discouraged, depressed. The AMA reports that about 80% of Americans at some point in time will, will struggle with depression. And many times to deal with depression, you need medication, you need uh, the care of a physician, and I highly recommend it. If you find that to be systematic and just not seasonal in your life, then you need to talk to somebody about it. You need to get some help, and there's help available. And I know sometimes in all of our lives, we go through a season of depression, where it just feels like uh, in spite of all the good that's going on, there, there's so many challenges here. And, and, I, and again, I just go back to this idea that you can be very powerful in one area of your life and, and very weak in another area of your life. You can have great success over here and struggle over there. I mean, no one has everything together in their life all the time. And here's this man of enormous uh, potential, and he has this terrible perception about God and himself. You read in verse 10, and you see a little bit of his perception. He felt that he's the only one. He felt underappreciated. He felt isolated. Uh, he's just going through a period of time where his, his thinking was wrong. And as a result of his thinking being wrong, it affects his perception. He's just burned out. 
He reminds me of uh, Simon Peter in John 21. You remember the narrative when Simon Peter said, man, I'm going fishing. Uh, now, again, as we talk about, don't find a tooth and go build a dinosaur here. He, he, there's nothing wrong with fishing. But you got to remember, Simon Peter was a fisherman by trade. And what he was saying was not just I'm going fishing. What he was saying is I'm going back to doing what I did before I ever met Jesus. I'm done with Jesus. I'm done with church, we might say today. I'm done with the Bible. I'm done with the prayer. I'm done with all that. And he walked away. And you know what? God led him. I know a lot of people. I have good friends, people that have walked away. I've told you before, I've resigned a number of times. I just didn't tell anybody. I mean, if, if you've never faced a challenge and, and if, if you've never made a mistake, you probably hadn't made much. Everybody in life will go through these seasons of time when you just get burned out, you're spiritually worn out, and Simon Peter was there. And what's amazing about it is Jesus shows up on the shoreline. And you know what he does? Have you caught anything, Simon Peter? You know, he was asking him, are you happy? I mean, you walked away and you can do that. You turned your back and you can do that. But are you happy? You've gotten what you said you thought you wanted. Does that make you happy? And he said, no. And Jesus invites him to the shore. You know what he does? He said, sit down, son. You're tired. Why don't you get something to eat here? You're hungry. And when Jesus had replenished him and helped him emotionally and helped him physically, he spoke into him spiritually. And it changed Simon Peter's perspective. I'm just saying sometimes, guys, God comes into your world and he comes into where you are and he does it in a way so that he can change your perspective. Which leads to my closing thought where he asks that last part of the question I want to highlight. What are you doing here? Here in this place. And in this place, God came to meet him. In this place, he would get a godly perspective in this place, God would change his life and it would affect him from this day forward. Simon Peter wrote, he said, I've determined that I will live the rest of my life not to the will of my own flesh, but to the will of God. We can't do anything about our past. Rejoice in some of it, grieve over some of it, but we can't change it. But we can do everything to affect our future. And I think that's the challenge, and I think that's the heart of this text, is he's just saying, look, you went into the cave one person, but you need to come out of the cave a different person. And what's beautiful about the text is this idea, don't miss this, God came to where he was. God knew he was in a cave. He knew he was in solitude. He knew he was in isolation. He knew more than where he was physically. Get this, he knew where he was emotionally. Sometimes we can be very convincing hypocrites. <laughs> Sometimes that's not bad. Somebody asks you how you're doing, you don't want to pull the chart, right? You don't have to go sit down and go, oh my, why did I ask the question? But I'm just simply suggesting to you, sometimes we're not honest with how we're doing. We're not even honest with ourselves. Remember I talked about perception being cognitive and effective? Sometimes we're not really honest with where we are. But you know who knows us better than we know ourselves? Our Heavenly Father. And sometimes he comes into the solitude and sometimes he calls into the, comes into the isolation when we close everybody out. We went into this place and then we went into ourselves. And he comes into that to say, man, what are you doing here? You're bigger than this. You're better than this. I'm not finished with you. There's people who love you. There's people who count on you. There's people that you influence. There's so much of life for you yet to live. But you know what happened? He went into a mountain that was accustomed to hearing God 
through noise. A burning bush, supernatural, sensational. Fire, earthquakes, shaking the mountain, tablets of stone, right? But in this case, that's not how God spoke. This is what changed his perspective. The Bible says God spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. Let me suggest what happens to a lot of us. Are you ready for this? Our lives are too loud. Our lives are too loud. Before the quarantine and the self-distancing, you think about how crazy your life was. You're meeting yourself coming and going. I mean, you have schedules. The kids are in soccer and baseball and basketball and football. And, and, and you got this going on at work and you got that going on. You got a project at the house and then you're trying to squeeze a date night in. And, you're trying, and, you're trying, and all of a sudden, man, when this pandemic hit, it's like the pause button hit our life. And suddenly it got more simple. And some of us began to hear things that we hadn't heard before because our lies were so loud and now they're being silenced so that we can hear things we don't normally hear. Can I tell you this morning, it's not that God is not speaking, it's that we're not listening. And sometimes we're not listening because our lives are too loud. I can illustrate it, you have kids? <laughs> You ever talk to your child when they're on a device or they're watching their television show and you talk and you talk and you talk and you talk and you go, I know there's nothing wrong with that kid's hearing. I know they can hear me perfectly, but they're not listening, right? Finally, you get their attention and you say, didn't you hear me? And they say, no, <laughs> they're honest. They didn't hear you. They had ears to hear. They didn't hear. Remember the challenge of the churches in Revelation? He who hath ears to hear, let them hear. There's a lot of people that have good ears that don't listen. And I'm just suggesting to you that sometimes we don't hear God even though he's speaking because our lives become too loud. And in the silence of his solitude, in the quietness of that cave, he heard God profoundly speak to him in a still, small voice. You remember when young Samuel was living with the prophet Eliah, uh, Eli, 1 Samuel 3. Middle of the night, Samuel hears his voice. Samuel! Samuel assumes it's Eli. He goes into Eli's room. Yes, did you call? And he's like, no, son, I can call you. Go back to bed. He goes back and lays down. All of a sudden, Samuel. He goes in, Levi, what's what? He goes, son, I didn't call you. And Eli said, but wait a minute. Maybe it was the voice of the Lord. He said, next time you hear the voice, say this. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. You read the record, it happened. And God was speaking to him in the silence of those night hours. You know, sometimes, guys, we go into the presence of God and we go into his presence like this. Listen, Lord, for your servant is speaking. Instead, we need to quieten our life and say to this, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And hearing his voice to your heart, his words of encouragement, his words of comfort, his words of purpose, his words of affir affirmation, can change your perspective. And I say again as I close, Elijah walked out of that cave, that place of exile, solitude, a different man, because he listened to the voice of God. Let's pray. Father, I know you have a word for each of us today. And I pray that each of us will have been sensitive to what your spirit desires to say into our heart. For some, it's to draw us closer for others, it's encouraging us. 
For others, it's to get us to be open to talk. For some, it might be to go and schedule an appointment to talk to someone about issues in their life. Others, they might want to become a part of a, a study group in our church to get more active spiritually in the life of their church. I don't know how you speak and what you said, but I know, Father, you are speaking if we're listening. I pray for my friends who may never have trusted you as Savior who are watching now. I pray you'll give them the courage where they're setting to simply say, Lord Jesus, with everything I now know about me, I trust everything I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, be a reality in me is my prayer. And then, Father, again, we pray. We pray for our world. We pray for our nation. We pray you'll lift this pandemic. Bless those who are going back out now as we reopen the economy, keep them safe. And, Father, I pray you'll give us wisdom as we move forward and consider how we can begin to open the doors of the church in a few weeks. I pray, Father, for uh, those today who, uh, who serve in the medical profession, first responders, Lord, protect them. We thank you for them. Those who provide our food, who drive the trucks, who make life possible for us, protect and bless them. Thank you, Lord, for our tech team. Thank you for our Met Glacia team. Thank you, Father, for our, our band and for our vocal team. And Lord, we're just so grateful for the privilege we have to go on these platforms socially and connect with tens of thousands of people. I pray that, Lord, you'll do something significant in every life. And we'll give you praise and thanks. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us live for this service. And I hope again you will uh, take advantage of all the opportunities we give you throughout the week to connect with us. Uh, I do a Bible study from the house uh, on Monday evenings. We had some technical issues last week with the internet. Hopefully we'll be up and going for tomorrow. And then you see all the events as they're scheduled. So thank you again for uh, sharing the service. Thanks to our tech team, amazing group, that make it possible for you to see and hear this. Have a wonderful rest of your Sunday. Pray for our Metinglacia service that will be starting shortly. We'll give uh, uh, them time to uh, get things set up. And God bless you all. Have a great week. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.